time for more Scott Weinberg on the law on TalkZone.com. Here's your host, Attorney Scott Weinberg. What is going on with crime in Detroit? We're joined here by Kim Worthy, the Wayne County prosecutor, who his office just charged premeditated murder against Jason Gibson, of course, on the death of Detroit police officer Brian Huff. Welcome to the show, Ms. Worthy. My pleasure. How are you? Kim, what is going on? What happened with this Jason Gibson case? How did the system break down? Well, I have to tell you, this is not all that unusual, unfortunately, and this is something that I've been yelling about for six and a half years, consistently, that the criminal justice system in Wayne County is overburdened, is understaffed, that there's not enough jail beds. There are, I think, four floors in the jail that are, that are closed due to resource issues. We don't have enough people. The police don't have enough people, but it's even more than that. We've got an overburdened crime lab. We have rape kits sitting on the shelf. So it's a, it's a systemic problem that's been going around for a long time. And now people are paying attention to it because there's been a crisis, a horrible tragedy. Is it just about money, or is it the management of somehow with the uh, with the city of Detroit? I don't think it's just about money. I think it's more about priority. As I've said many, many times in the past, uh, public safety is supposed to be the number one function of government. That is something I think everybody of any party would agree that government is supposed to take care of our security and our safety. But we pay a lot of attention to other type of things. We do not pay much attention to public safety issues. And, yes, it's resources, but it's also dealing with the overburdened things that we have to take place for a long time. My office, for example, does reviews up to 30,000 felonies a year. But there's no way we can try all those cases. That's huge. That is so many yeah. cases. This is just one county in one state in this country. We are a very large urban prosecutor's office, one of the largest in the country. We have comparatively far fewer APAs than any place else in the country. You can do the numbers. You can pick any large office and you can do the numbers and do the math. How many and, How many you actually do? How many AP, uh, assistant prosecutors do you have working in the office? Um, it's hard to say because we have grant funding as well that's coming in. I'm going to estimate that we have about 152 now. Mm-hmm. And if you look at offices of, offices of our size, and by that I mean really you can only compare by kind of population. If you look at population of our size, we're pretty near Miami-Dade in, in Florida. We're pretty near Harris County in Texas, which is Houston. We're pretty near Riverside, uh, California, which, of course, is in, in um, mid-California. Mid they all have over 250 assistant prosecutors or, they, or assistant district, district attorneys. So when you look at offices our size, and we do um, more cases than they do per capita as well. So you have to look at the comparisons and see. Also by investigators, investigators who help cases move along faster, who can find witnesses who are, who are missing so you don't have to reissue those cases, who can make sure and check out the defendant's story because we can't do that now. And you look at some offices, they have 60 and 65 investigators. So you have to look at their priorities, and we have been hurt by we are still pretty efficient based on what we have. We still have fairly high conviction rates, and when people look at that, they say, oh, well, they can get by. Well, no, we just aren't paying attention to everything that we should be paying attention to. Well, you know, as a criminal defense attorney, obviously I've, I've uh, practiced here for many years in terms of dealing with your office. There is no way that you can try every case. I mean, it is part of the system that it would just shut down if your office was obligated to try every case. I mean, plea bargaining is just simply part of the system. We still don't, we still don't give a, what we do give away the store because this is the reality of that case. If, and you know this as an, as an attorney. If a person is charged with six counts and he or she is willing to plead to three of them, 
and they're going to get the same amount of time if they plead a six or they plead a three. Of course, we are going to take that plea so we can move on to the next case that we might have to take to trial. That's just common sense. Why would you try a case and take up the time, bring in the witnesses, bring in the jurors, take the time where you can be doing another case if the person's going to get the same thing if they plead uh, to, to everything. It just makes no sense. And also, when it comes to sentencing, and although some of the newspaper reports, and you know this as a lawyer, when you look at um, some of the uh, sentencing guidelines, yes, you can say that those guidelines say the person should spend time in, in prison or jail, but we know there's straddle cells, and that's not going to happen. And it's too hard to explain that to people. They're going to get probation, even if the guidelines say they can't. Right, and straddle cells just for audience, obviously, is the situation where the judge has discretion what to do with them. In terms of the the situation here, though, I, I mean, when you have a breakdown, obviously, in terms of this uh, Jason Gibson, is, is there any any assurance that um, if he was, for instance, prosecuted before and put away, that that something like this wouldn't happen? He wouldn't have gotten out early. And I mean, you cannot you cannot say, and the papers have really been all over this. You cannot say that simply because he was out that he, if he had been prosecuted before and kept in, that this wouldn't happen. Anymore. No, you, you can't say that at all. And 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 you you mentioned something before. If we refuse to plea bargain on everything, he would have been out awaiting trial for three years on one of the first offenses. Absolutely. So that's the problem, and, and it's hard for people to understand that. And I get that it's hard for people to understand that. I really get that. But the bottom line is we have to make the best decision with what we have at the time that we have it. None of us are clairvoyant. And, you know, and I have to be quite blunt with you and say that I'm surprised it doesn't happen more. That's a horrible thing to say, but, but, but because of how we have to operate, you know, we are really lucky in, in some instances, but we really we, we strive to make good decisions. We really try hard to make good decisions. We look at the guidelines. We look at the facts. We look at the evidence. And also, we, we also talk to our victims. That's another thing that's lost on it. We don't just plea bargain things away without talking to our victims and, uh, and, and 99% of the time obtaining their, their consent. And I say 99% of the time because oftentimes, sometimes what will happen where victims want, um, you know, life in prison for a B&E. Well, obviously, we can't, we can't do that. We, we talk to our victims. We tell them why we are offering this, and we try to obtain their consent, and we do most of the time. We're talking with Kim Worthy from the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office. You know, when we deal with uh, here prosecutors uh, all over the state, and I have to say that your prosecutor's office, if nothing else, when you actually take into account a victim's concerns and what the victim wants, unless they're outrageous, th- there are many prosecutor's offices in this in the state that don't do that. They have policies that'll say, well, we don't really care what the pro- what the victim wants to do. We're going to prosecute it under our policy, whether it's quite frankly fair or not. Yes, and you know, we have a recent victim who probably beg the difference with you, but domestic violence are different cases altogether because we have so many domestic violence cases that turn into murders. We have to take a stand on those. But yes, you're absolutely right. We really try to confer with them and try to bring them into the process and explain the facts of life to them. But I do think there's some things that we could do better. And we've been talking about this since this happened, and we talk about things like this all the time. For instance, um, in, in Wayne County, prosecutors do not appear at violation probation hearings. And the reason we don't is because we don't have the staff to do so. And I think we have to take a, a really close look at that. I think that when we have probation violation hearings, we have someone that's obviously been convicted, someone that has obviously been uh, given a chance before a judge, and we have the probation officers conducting the hearings, as you know. And, you know, they don't, sometimes they don't have the right questions to ask. They don't have the, 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 uh, the savvy uh, for evidentiary hearings because the defendant is always represented by a lawyer. 
and they don't also have the impetus sometimes to get the, the right witnesses into court. So I think a lot of times on these violation probation hearings, we can look at them as as seriously as we as we do a trial, because after all, someone has been given a first chance. So I think I, I had brought that proposal three or four years ago to my funding source and asked for a dedicated prosecutor to handle those violation hearings, and I think we need to look at, take a closer look at that. We also have been talking to the bench, and we, we need to take a closer look at how we handle our capious cases, and for your readers, I mean, for your listeners, I mean, how do we handle cases where people just don't show up for trial? Are we really aggressively getting law enforcement to go after people who have capious from their trials? But there's so many that have yeah. bench warrants that way that it's so yeah. hard to, yeah. to enforce something like that. It, it's very hard, but I think we're going to try to take a look at how we can make it a little easier. So, but then when we, look, when we talked about it, even this week when we talked, we've talked about that, the people, the fugitive forces, the, the police officers that, that then are, are tasked with going out to find them, once we give them the information, they've been cut. So right. then we don't have the police agencies that we need to go after uh, some of these people who have not, sh- defendants who have not shown up for trial. So these are, these are things that, well, while I don't think they would have made a difference in this case, this is a wake-up call in the sense that uh, we can, there are some small things that I think we can do better. But we, I, I really shouldn't even use the term wake-up call because we all know the reality of this. We all know that this can happen. We all I've been there. I've been on the bench for nine years, and you hope that when you're giving someone a bond that they're going to do what they're supposed to do. You're hoping that when you reduce someone's bond because of, of a request, or because of a legal reason, that they're not going to go out and do something crazy. So right. that's well, the following, reality. It's following, the, obviously, the rules of the court. You mentioned violation of probation. Anything else you can tell us about Kwame? Anything going on there recently? Um, we're in court, I think, on the 26th on that. The 26th or the 27th. I'm not sure exactly what day that is. I'm sorry, I think it's the 25th. Right. Well, we'll hopefully get you after that and uh, hopefully come up with a million dollars for restitution. What do you think? Well, I I hope, uh, let's just say I I hope that that Judge Grota will be firm with this defendant and and we'll be saying what we'll be asking for when we go to court. Well, we'll keep your eye on you and keep your eye on Kim Kim Worthy joining us from the Wayne County Prosecutor's Office and Judge Groner. Hopefully we'll uh, have you join us after that hearing. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Kim. Mm -hmm. Bye. I really want to hear more about, I swear that... uh, Kwame Kilpatrick, how how are we going to get more money from him? I I just I don't see how it's going to happen. It, there's one thing that they do in restitution hearings, whether it's a misdemeanor case or whether it's a felony case. The one thing they do is they try to hold over the defendant's head some type of penalty. They say, you pay this amount of money, you have your keys to your own jail cell. You do. I mean, you can say, hey, listen, I'm coming up with X amount of money, judge, and that will, and the judge will say, fine, that'll keep you out of jail. He can say, I'm going to give you 30 days in jail, but you come with X amount of money, of course, in his case, in Kwame's case, it's going to be maybe, you come up with, you know, 50, 60, $70,000, and I'll let you out. But it doesn't seem that that's what's going on. It seems like somehow, because there's such a great amount of money owed on this restitution. I mean, it, it is an extremely large case in terms of a criminal case for state court to have this kind of restitution. You know, when you have restitution in these amounts, it's usually a federal case. They've got business um, businesses that are corporations that have ripped off either Medicare or they ripped off uh, a range of different uh, uh, corporate Entities that involved just huge amounts of money, and they make these corporate officers pay over a significant amount of time. I mean, there's a 
there's a one recent case where in Bay City a doctor made a deal to avoid fraud charges. He owed a hundred. Uh, he owed a million dollars. A doctor agreed to repay a million dollars, mostly to Medicare, in an extraordinary deal. This this doctor, Parveen Malik, basically he had a situation where he was going to take lie detector tests. He's going to uh, testify in any way, so he doesn't have charges brought against him. So the prosecutor's office gave him a deal where if he pays back an extraordinary amount of money, a million dollars, that he can pay it back over a period of time with community service, and he's off the, and he's off being charged. At least that's the way they report. And that is kind of a rare deal where he'll get something like a diversion program, but he'll have to just pay $500 a month for, it'll take him decades, $500 a month. And that's what we're dealing with with Kwame, a small amount of restitution money, a small amount of the ability to pay back that will, with little over his head. You know, we only have five years on probation. Once that five years is done, the judge loses all jurisdiction. So, Judge Groner, please, get our money from, get the Detroit's money from, uh, from Kwame. And I know you will too, because I know Judge Groner and I know he's a, he can be tough too. So hopefully we'll be able to get Kwame to pay it back.